Chapter Fifteen, Section Ten of Capital, Volume One. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Gazina. Capital, a critical analysis of capitalist production, Volume One, by Karl Marx. Translated from the third German edition by Samuel Moore and Edward Aveling, and edited by Frederick Engels. Part Five, Production of Relative Surplus Value. Chapter Fifteen, Machinery and Modern Industry. Section Ten, Modern Industry and Agriculture. The revolution called forth by modern industry in agriculture and in the social relations of agricultural producers, will be investigated later on. In this place, we shall merely indicate a few results by way of anticipation. If the use of machinery in agriculture is for the most part free from the injurious physical effect it has on the factory operative, its action in superseding the labourers is more intense, and finds less resistance, as we shall see later in detail. In the counties of Cambridge and Suffolk, for example, the area of cultivated land has extended very much within the last twenty years, up to 1868, while in the same period the rural population has diminished, not only relatively, but absolutely. In the United States, it is as yet only virtually that agricultural machines replace laborers. In other words, they allow of the cultivation by the farmer of a larger surface, but do not actually expel the labourers employed. In 1861, the number of persons occupied in England and Wales in the manufacture of agricultural machines was 1,034, whilst the number of agricultural labourers employed in the use of agricultural machines and steam engines did not exceed 1,205. In the sphere of agriculture, modern industry has a more revolutionary effect than elsewhere, for this reason that it annihilates the peasant, that bulwark of the old society, and replaces him by the wage-labourer. Thus the desire for social changes and the class antagonisms are brought to the same level in the country as in the towns. The irrational old-fashioned methods of agriculture are replaced by scientific ones, Capitalist production completely tears asunder the old bond of union which held together agriculture and manufacture in their infancy. But at the same time it creates the material conditions for a higher synthesis in the future, namely the union of agriculture and industry on the basis of the more perfected forms they have each acquired during their temporary separation. Capitalist production by collecting the population in great centres and causing an ever-increasing preponderance of town population, on the one hand concentrates the historical motive power of society. On the other hand, it disturbs the circulation of matter between man and the soil, that is, prevents the return to the soil of its elements consumed by man in the form of food and clothing, it therefore violates the conditions necessary to lasting fertility of the soil. By this action, it destroys at the same time the health of the town labourer and the intellectual life 
of the rural labourer. Footnote. Quote, you divide the people into two hostile camps of clownish boars and emasculated dwarfs. Good heavens, a nation divided into agricultural and commercial interests, calling itself sane, nay, styling itself enlightened and civilized, not only in spite of, but in consequence of this monstrous and unnatural division. Unquote. David Urquhart, first chapter, page 119. This passage shows, at one and the same time, the strength and the weakness of that kind of criticism which knows how to judge and condemn the present, but not how to comprehend it. End of footnote. But while upsetting the naturally grown conditions for the maintenance of that circulation of matter, it imperiously calls for the restoration as a system, as a regulating law of social production, and under a form appropriate to the full development of the human race. In agriculture, as in manufacture, the transformation of production under the sway of capital means at the same time the martyrdom of the producer. The instrument of labour becomes the means of enslaving, exploiting and impoverishing the labourer. The social combination and organisation of labour processes is turned into an organised mode of crushing out the workman's individual vitality, freedom and independence. The dispersion of the rural labourers over larger areas breaks their power of resistance while concentration increases that of the town operatives. In modern agriculture, as in the urban industries, the increased productiveness and quantity of the labour set in motion are bought at the cost of laying waste and consuming, by disease, labour power itself. Moreover, all progress in capitalistic agriculture is a progress in the art not only of robbing the labourer, but of robbing the soil. All progress in increasing the fertility of the soil for a given time is a progress towards ruining the lasting sources of that fertility. The more a country starts in development on the foundation of modern industry, like the United States, for example, the more rapid is this process of destruction. Footnote. See Liebig, Die Chemie in ihrer Anwendung auf Agrikultur und Physiologie, siebte Auflage, 1862, and especially the Einleitung in die Naturgesetze des Feldbaus, in the first volume. To have developed from the point of view of natural science the negative, that is, destructive side of modern agriculture is one of Liebig's immortal merits. His summary, too, of the history of agriculture, though not free from gross errors, contains flashes of light. It is, however, to be regretted that he ventures on such haphazard assertions as the following. Quote, by greater pulverizing and more frequent ploughing, the circulation of air in the interior of porous soil is aided, and the surface exposed to the action of the atmosphere is increased and renewed, but it is easily seen that the increased yield of the land cannot be proportional to the labour spent on that land, but increases in a much smaller proportion. This law, adds Liebig, was first enunciated by John Stuart Mill in his Principles of Political Economy, volume 1, page 17, as follows, quote, that the produce of land increases, caterers paribus, 
in a diminishing ratio to the increase of the laborers employed. Unquote. Mill here introduces, in an erroneous form, from the law enunciated by Ricardo's school, for since the quote, decrease of the laborers employed unquote, kept even pace in England with the advance of agriculture, the law discovered in and applied to England could have no application to that country at all events. Quote, is the universal law of agricultural industry. Unquote. This is very remarkable, since Mill was ignorant of the reason for this law. Unquote. Liebig, first chapter, Band 1, page 143, and note. Apart from Liebig's wrong interpretation of the word labor, by which word he understands something quite different from what political economy does, it is in any case very remarkable that he should make Mr. John Stuart Mill the first propounder of a theory which was first published by James Anderson in A. Smith's Days, and was repeated in various works down to the beginning of the nineteenth century, a theory which Malthus, that master of plagiarism, the whole of his population theory is a shameless plagiarism, appropriated to himself in 1815, which West developed at the same time as, and independently of, Anderson, which in the year 1817 was connected by Ricardo with a general theory of value, then made the round of the world as Ricardo's theory, and in 1820 was vulgarized by James Mill, the father of John Stuart Mill, and which, finally, was reproduced by John Stuart Mill and others as a dogma already quite commonplace, and known to every schoolboy. It cannot be denied that John Stuart Mill owes his, at all events, remarkable authority, almost entirely to such quid pro quos. End of footnote. Capitalist production, therefore, develops technology, and the combining together of various processes into a social whole, only by sapping the original sources of all wealth, the soil and the labourer. End of part 5, chapter 15, section 10.